Kia ora. Welcome to Cinema in Context, discussing all things film and the connections in between. My name is Jeremy Downing, and what you're about to hear is a conversation that I had with two of my good friends, all cinema lovers, discussing the films Mahana, which came out this year in 2016, and Once Were Warriors, which came out back in 1994, both directed by New Zealand director Lee Tamahori. We discussed many things, touched on many topics, so here we go. I hope you enjoy. I'm here with Sarah Watt and Max Tars. Uh, my name's Jeremy Downing. We are three teachers, teaching in Auckland, but also uh, cinema lovers as well. Uh, I've got a film degree, got it at Victoria University many years ago, and have been an avid film critiquer since. Uh, I'm Sarah Watt, English teacher and uh, Sunday Star Times film reviewer for the last um, five going on six years, so that's a real privilege. Uh, hi guys, uh, I'm Max Tarrant. I'll just uh, correct Jeremy there, that's from my Facebook name, which I have sneakily changed so that nobody knows exactly who I am. Um, and my film credentials are uh, probably slightly less impressive, but have been interested in film for many years and did start studying it and then quickly shift, but um, have moved on to do political studies and things which have informed my interest in politics, uh, sorry, in film. Mm, cool. And we've all, we've all met through Teach First NZ, I think it's worth mentioning that, um, and we're teachers teaching English, all three of us, and film is a massive part of that curriculum. And I, I spoke to Sarah Max and uh, said it would be great to sit down and, and record some of the conversations we've had, because I've had some really good conversations with both of you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also an opportunity for me, anyway, to talk about film at a level that's not my high school level. It's great having chats about mm, film with students, mm, mm. but it's nice to also <laughs> have, a, have a little bit of a high-level discussion. Sure. So that's kind of what this is. And we talked about this, uh, the format of this, of this podcast being a, a recent film, a current film that's on at the cinema, and then a retrospective film, so a film that's come out, let's say, in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Hundred years by the same director, connected by the same, by the same director. director. Is that it? Yeah, yeah or connected be, by some some way. Yeah, could be the same studio, like right. someone like Pixar. We could look at right. that sort of comparison, or or a key actor that's played the same sort of role. So yeah, but today it's it is it is a connection by director, and we're looking at the film Mahana, which is directed by Lee Tamahori, New Zealand director, New Zealand film, and that came out this year, and also looking at his. His, his big film, Once Were Warriors, which came out in 1994. Mm. Uh, and we've got three kind of guiding topics that we're going to look at, but sort of see where things go. Eh? Sure, sure. It's a bit of an experiment today. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'll kick us off. I think probably the safest one, or the, or the one that's a nice end, is the question, one technical or film technique moment that impressed us in the movie. Um, and should we start with... Once Warriors or Mahana? Should we start with Mahana and then look back? Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah? Sounds okay. good. Cool. Who would like to start us off? A film technique or a film moment that interests you? <clears throat> I only spotted one in particular, and I think we'd all agree, and listeners who have seen the film would agree, that the fairly spectacular... I mean, to be fair, Mahana is beautifully shot, but, mm. but it isn't particularly tricky or clever mm. in any way mm. until you get to the shot... And I, are we are we spoiler free on this? Well, that's a good that's a good question, isn't it? Uh, so we'll talk around. I think the talk shot. around it. Yeah. But there is um, there is a, a long, uh, I guess, crane shot mm. that uh, happens sort of at a, a relatively climactic moment of the film. There's a, a big revelation coming, and the the crane shot starts low, comes up around the house. Mm. While we kind yes. of know, we get this sense of doom and gloom that it is about to reveal to us something unpleasant. 
and then the camera hangs out by the second story window and then heads inside and boom, there's this massive uh, plot revelation, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And it struck me, obviously, because of the, the interesting nature of that, that, one, that one shot um, and the fact that, that, that aesthetically... Suddenly the film had gone quite dark. The lighting was dark. It was, I, if I remember rightly, it was ever so slightly grainy. It yeah. definitely had that it's sense black of black and white being, or something, isn't it? Right, I think it least, was. Because it's, it's, a, it's a, a flashback. flashback. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and as I say, then there was this, this sort of horrible reveal, which is at the core of the, 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 the uh, drama mm. within um, Mahana. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you feel that when you saw it as well? I, I, definitely. Absolutely. That's, that's one I wrote down as well. And I, I, I actually would go, I sort of wanted to talk <clears> as much about that shot as yeah. I would about that house. And I think I can safely say that it, you know it's the grandmother's house. Um, the, the probably the key, the key one of the key characters really in the whole mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they created that house as a character in itself was yeah. very impressive. Mm. I don't want to talk too much about comparing it to the book because I kind of find those conversations really, yeah. really boring. They get boring fast. But I love the book, and and that's not that's not in the book. The house, mm, mm. the house as a character is not yeah. not a symbol mm. and I, I was really impressed it was actually the biggest thing that impressed me about the film was how they had yeah created this this, this extra this, character this extra character that's nice to know I'd started reading the book at university for one of my papers and um, inevitably for me didn't get through the whole story so so that I hadn't picked up on people who had loved the book had sort of said oh didn't love the film as much because mm. inevitably I think books can't always capture everything mm. uh, sorry films yeah, can't always sure. capture everything in the mm. adaptation so that's lovely that for some yeah, reason there was yeah. a di- directorial choice made to as you say create a a character out of an inanimate object as well but a very important one so yeah, yeah nice. i think the key thing and maybe <clears> this will be the last thing i say about the book <laughs> i don't want to, mm. I don't want to get too caught up on that the book is i know um is Witsi Himaida, who wrote the book, mm. is a response to him finding out about how Mormonism had been introduced to his family mm. and how it had been a, a very um, shocking moment for him and a, and a moment of anger. Um, and that this, this storyline is a metaphor for that. That wow. wasn't present in the film at all. In no. fact, religion is just something on the side. Mm. Um, and I can see why they didn't do that, because there's just so many threads. Um, but I can definitely see how some people would be frustrated that that core piece of the story didn't translate. Sure. Um, Anyways, mm. what was your? I was well. It's interesting because um, speaking about the house, there's a kind of um, moment earlier on in the story which I found probably most interesting and attractive for the technical side of it. Just the colours that came out of it is when the young boy Simeon um, goes on his eight-hour trek with his horse mm. up from his own house to the another family house, and we see the 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 new house, the grandmother's house for the first time in that shot. Um, and I just thought the colours and this kind of, it almost had a kind of dreamy feel, this lovely darkness, and um, I just found that that kind of little um, short piece one of my favourite parts of the film. Oh, lovely. It uses the landscapes. That was the other thing I wanted to bring out. Mm. The, the shots of the landscapes that get dotted throughout are some of the most powerful little images there. Really beautiful landscapes and obviously it's a huge part of the story Mahana mm. is this kind of man that I don't know comes out of the land or something and they show that in the first shot mm. with the when they do the title yeah the title Mahana sits right on the on the hill you can see that it's been propped right there yeah mm. um, so you can see that they're kind of making this connection of 
there's a, there's a lot going on with the land here, and I thought that was a really beautiful moment that it gets brought in. Mm. Isn't that nice, though, what you say? I didn't pick that up, Max, mm, when no, I watched no. it. Nice what you say about your introduction to the house as being mm. something beautiful and lovely, which, mm. of course, you wouldn't have then known how the house was going to change in its character yes. later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting that you would go, oh, isn't mm. this nice? And then it sort of it, it pulls the, the rug out from under the audience's feet later then, doesn't it? For mm. the house to suddenly represent the, yeah. the place in which this horrific thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. There's one other thing, I, one other moment that I brought out, um, in terms of film technique. I really love the car chase at the start. I think that was a great, oh yeah, that was cool. Moment. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of fun and quite, mm. quite terrifying and, and set the era. You know exactly mm. what yeah. era you were in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 1940s. Yes. Sort of yes. rock and roll sort of time. And yeah. I, uh, yeah, I love that. It set the energy really nicely as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember that the, the in the very, very opening shots, as you said, Max, about the, the title on the hill, we get, um, uh, we, we just see Mahana, don't we, from um, from behind. Yes. And yep. then do we see Nancy Brunning, the grandmother, come into it as well? I remember... No, I, think, I think the grandmother, it actually starts on the grandmother's feet. Right. Mm. And it moves up her... I can't remember if we see her face then, but then it cuts to the back of Mahana. Right. And it kind of swerves around and sees his, just this kind of the side of his face. And it's quite peaceful and beautiful. And you think, ah, this is going to be lovely. And then boom, you're into this energetic car chase that is at once humorous and sets the scene for the rivalry and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm. And and one thing I liked about the film a lot is that the pacing, I thought, was terrific. Mm -hmm. It kept it going. It Mm -hmm. it dived, uh, it dove, whatever, from um, plot point to plot point Mm -hmm. really nicely. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought that the, I thought all the characters and I thought Simeon in particular, Mm. I think that's his... What did I did I think that was his first role, his first film oh, yeah. role? I think he might have been cool. plucked from obscurity in a mm. uh, in a high school mm. drama class or something. And mm. if I'm not wrong on that, we'll get emails if so. But, um, but uh, from all our fans, eh? yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, from yeah. all the listeners, all the um, that are listening. <laughs> going, no, she's so wrong. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, really nicely put together. And mm. I I, um, I totally agree with you. I thought he did a, he really carried the film. But Nancy Brunning, uh, she she is just brilliant as the grandmother, mm. and I thought. Just the way that she carried some of those, you know, the big, the big scenes, the big reveal scenes. Yeah. Where she has her speeches. She just did them with such, such grace, really. And yeah. Then I thought it just blew me away. Yeah. I, I probably even cried at a certain points. Mm, I, I did. I had slight little kind of tears, and I, I was kind of st- a little bit surprised to be honest, mm. because I don't know the the film. For me, it felt quite clunky at the start, and I did just at some point. I think. I think I kind of decided to just let myself get into it, right. get stuck into it, and by the end, I was just, I really, really enjoyed there. it, and I was fully in- involved. You know. Mm. 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 Yeah, that's an interesting point because um, plot-wise, and I, of course, you've got to blame Ahimaira for this. It's not Tamahori's fault mm. at all, but mm. um, but plot-wise, it's. Um, it's it's pretty straightforward, mm. isn't it? There's mm. a problem set up. There's a rivalry. We mm. don't know why. We find out why. Mm. There's a reveal. Blah. Mm. Um, so yes, I th- I think that one thing that impressed me about the film was that I really enjoyed mm. it, despite the fact that mm. it could be accused yeah. of of a, a, de- a degree of sort of um, predictability. Yeah. Or ever so slightly, you know, towards the end, you've got the sheep sharing competition, yes. and there's always yeah, that yeah. kind of was, thing yeah, in an antipodean yeah, yeah. film, isn't there? There's yeah. always some kind of there's got to be a race or a competition yeah. or something, and I didn't mind it, and I thought yeah. for me, yeah. 
um, that's quite a sign, you know, that's yeah. quite a sign if I'm not going, oh, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, um, yeah. Something worth mentioning, I went and saw the film at a Q&A session up the road at, oh, at nice. Linmore, and yeah. um, Timmy Morris was there, and he was, mm. he was a great... Uh, Raconteur? Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. just a presence. Yeah. And, um, and they talked, he talked about how they really had to make this film on a, on a, on a budget, mm. and that... Talk about the landscape. They filmed it, I think, just around Auckland rather than down mm. in Gisborne or I around the I did the see bits of, yeah. They kind oh, of just patched just it. Just over by the northern, the northern motorway just before the tunnel, there was a shot I was sure I could see just kind of... Yeah. I thought they had filmed on the East Coast, though. Why Maybe parts of it they had. But he did yeah. talk about that. You know, they had to okay. sort of patch it together. And sure. then the, the sharing competition... It's it's a lot smaller than um, than I think perhaps they wanted it to be, but mm. it still worked. Mm. I thought they still got a re- did a really good job. Mm. It looks fantastic. I thought the sharing competition yeah. feels like there's there's a real vibe. There. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, should we talk about Once the Warriors? Um, same <coughs> question. Uh, you know, it, it came out almost or twenty two years before mm. this film. I'm probably the only one of us around the table who saw it when it came out. Hey. You, you young bucks, probably mm. not so much. I don't think Wait, it so what date did it come out? 94. 94. Mm. Yeah. So I saw oh, it when I was a teenager. Yeah. On v- VHS or DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember sobbing. Just so, mm. <laughs> so, yeah. so, And I still, when I watched it recently, I cried as well. Mm. I, know, I know that we were talking about it earlier. But, um, the first, yeah. the, I mean, when it came out, if I can speak as the old person round the table. Mm. When it came out, obviously, it was revolutionary in many, many ways. Mm. And I don't profess to know the New Zealand canon so well that I can say categorically it was the first time. But it was the first major time, I think, that we had seen um, Māori represented on screen in a very urban, gritty way. And obviously everything that goes into Once Were Warriors, I mean, it it is... um, remembered obviously um, for the brutality mm-hmm. uh, and the gruesome plot details um, as well as being to some degree uh, sort of an accurate depiction of, of, of the experience of some urban Māori. Inaccurate or accurate? Accurate, yeah. to some extent, mm-hmm. accurate, mm-hmm. you know, for some. Um, and I remember that it made a huge impact. But you know, as a, but I, but I'm ashamed to say that um, as a so I don't know how old I would have been, but you know, late teens, early twenties, all we were obsessed with was repeating that blimmin' um, yes. cook cook me some eggs mm. line. People still do, you know. People still do. That's right. Just, that's the kind of thing, and they go, "That's that's what it is." And that's it is. what it was about. Mm. And the, um, cook, cook the woman, cook the man cook some the man eggs. some effing eggs or whatever it was. Mm. So, um, and obviously, there's so much more to it. Mm. And now we are enlightened. We three, and I think society is enlightened enough to obviously be able to mm. to to watch it and to 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 um, feel much more sort of compassionate and much more concerned about the very real mm. issues that are in the film. Mm. Um, but what's what was interesting to me, I rewatched it a year and a half ago and wept. Uh, and I didn't feel the fir- it, the film didn't feel dated at all, mm. which I think is quite interesting for a film made in the nineties mm-hmm. to you know rewatch it, two thousand and fourteen or whatever it was, mm. um, and for it not to feel cliched or hackneyed mm. or anything like that at all. Mm. Um, yeah, it's sorry. Anyway, it's a it's a hard watch, isn't it? Mm. It's a really hard watch. I, I mean, I watched it last year again, and and I watched it very specifically because I'm teaching in that. That area, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and I and I was, you know, the, the, that time when I first was crying, it was because I was wrapped up with the story and the mm. kind of horror of the story, and and they were characters. But yeah. when I watched it again, they weren't characters; they were 
Yeah. There was, you know, mm. there were some of my students. And yes. that's exactly how I felt. Mm. That's right. Yeah. I thought, I know that kid. Yeah. yeah. I know that kid. I know that parent. And it was mm-hmm. devastating to mm. watch it with that sort of, that's exactly right. And I suppose that's the point I, I allude to with my shame of having watched mm. it from mm-hmm. that distance mm-hmm. 20 mm-hmm. years ago and just gone, oh, how awful. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, and yeah. now to think, oh, how awful and th- yeah. this feels much more sort of real and yeah. present. So, yeah. 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 I, think, I wonder if we shift, and we can come back to the, the film technique question, but I feel like one of the things I want to talk about in regards to Once a Warrior is, is that, sure, it's that, that horrible violent, the vi- family violence and mm. the alcoholism and the rape and all these just awful things that happen. Mm-hmm. But there is a real clear distinction between that kind of the urbanised Māori that's lost lost their right. culture. But then there's that Rena Owens character, who I could talk <clears throat> more about her in, later on, reclaiming mana and, and looking back to the the majesty of, of um, yes. the heritage. Yeah. Yeah. heritage. Yeah, yeah, sure. And there's that very clear difference there. And um, there's something... There's something in, in the horror of that. There's something really aspirational, I find, particularly with her character... Event, I mean, I guess most people have seen this film, right? Yeah. Talk about the end yeah, of it. Yeah, sure. Um, her leaving. Her, her leaving. It's just such a moment of, yeah. um, you know, it's a great, it's a, it's a happy, happy ending, <laughs> you know, sort of. Does she take, she takes the kids, right? She takes the kids, Does she yeah. take the kids up to the marae and... With, yeah, to go live with her, with her yeah. family. Yeah. Mm. Um, and there is a clear distinction between a positive identity of, as being Māori and a negative identity. We actually talked briefly before we started recording the fact that we're three Pākehā yes. individuals yes. Uh, talking about, um, I guess, Māori representations. So there is an uncomfortability there, but um, I think it's better to talk about it than yeah. not talk about it. That's that's a good point. And, uh, I, yeah, just I think that in terms of the actual question, posing that, that we're looking at representations of Māori rather than... I think what I felt when I was watching Mahana, sorry to skip back to that, and okay. we'll have to be careful, um, but um, was that uh, it wasn't really, it didn't feel correct or right to be commenting on representations of Māori. It felt more as if we're talking about something that has been created that is Māori, but it's not, it's not, just, a, it's not just an image, you know? It's not like, it, it didn't feel like Lee Tom- Tamahori was... Um, going out there specifically to go, okay, here's an here's an image of what you can see of Māori. This is how we live, or something. Mm-hmm. Or, guys, other Māori people watch this, and this is you know this is your history, or something like that. It just felt like a creation that he had made and was happy with being himself mm-hmm. Māori mm-hmm. and creating it in a Māori way. Mm-hmm. Mahana, you mean? Sorry, Mahana. Yeah, this right, is Mahana. right. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I, there was a much more consciousness with Once Were Warriors. I felt. Of the fact that it was, you know, being in that time, it was a much bigger deal to be to be making this statement yeah. and to be showing these kind of kinds of things. Um, so that kind of yeah, it really put a stake in the ground. I, mm. You know, once for warriors, in that it it both opened opened the world to a community that hadn't been seen on film before, mm. but it simultaneously created a stereotype. And that's the danger, isn't it? Mm. Mm. That is absolutely the danger. The, the, the films that I teach uh, my, my older students who are, who are doing film English, you know, a lot of it is about stereotypes. And we have to have this discussion that says stereotypes mm. come from somewhere. Mm. Yeah. And they come from statistics or they come from reality. Mm. But mm-hmm. the problem is then that they, when people push that stereotype out and go, ah, well, therefore all Māori. Mm, um, mm, and, mm. and, you know, that's part of the discussion mm. that we 
that we have. So you're mm. so right. I have a discomfort about the fact that Once for Warriors went worldwide yes. um, and yes. did festivals and everything and people were like, oh, how awful. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, yes, and this is a re- very real problem, but as you say, it's mm. also, it's not a positive depiction of Māori. Mm. And I wasn't onto it enough back in the days to, to know how it was received by, say, the Māori community who mm. might have gone, mm. Mm. Couldn't you be mm. telling a, yeah. a different story, thanks, mm. you know? Or whether they were like, actually, this is a freaking big problem. Yeah. And I'm quite glad that somebody's I, now take, you know, paying mm. attention. I did wonder about the kind of speaking about the history and the landscape of film and the, the landscape of Māori politics leading up to that, whether it was kind of like... Because I understand that there was a kind of a bit of a Māori renaissance in the 60s and 70s when mm. they started producing very political literature mm. and... Um, making some of those political uh, statements and then I wonder if it was at that point in 1994 where they were starting to go okay we've talked about ourselves and we've been so kind of heave ho and gung ho and been fighting for ourselves now we can make um, a look in at ourselves or something like that Absolutely. I don't know, I don't no, know. I know. it's, right. it's I know a very I feel like again this is a very bold thing to say as kind of a Pākehā mm. looking at it from the outside but I know that um, again to talk about Witi Himaira um, mm. he, he had a, a real rejection from writing uh, in the sort of 80s, I think around about that time, where he'd been writing these very kind of happy Māori stories mm, and then he was mm. realised that he was glossing over some really real issues. Right. So I think there's probably some weight to what you're saying. Mm. Um, but I do know the 90s was the grunge time, you know, mm. the 90s yes. in film yeah, was, yeah, that, yeah, was yeah. That, that sort of, it fit very nicely into that narrative. Yeah. Mm. Um, and talking yeah, all about... All New Zealand, sorry, just to say, all New Zealand film that I watched in the 90s right. contemporaneously was, was grim. Was quite grim, yeah. Yeah, and you know, Sam Neill's famous... Um, description of it as being the cinema of unease yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I'm not sure if he meant 90s film or prior possibly a little bit earlier but certainly in the 90s it mm. was crash and rain and mm. and um, piano and the piano and leading into that's right and leading right. into In My Father's Den which I realise is I, I think early 2000s but mm. yeah definitely it was it was dark stories mm. you know and we tell mm. dark stories really well mm. yeah I think though I mean in terms of cinema landscape in, in terms of stereotypes and I mean, once a war is, you need that film to be able to have your whale riders, your boys, That's what I think. Your, yep, your I dark think so. horse. Yeah. You know, like, they, they talk back to that film. Mm. I mean, ideally, we would have had more Māori cinema right from yeah. cinema being made in New Zealand. But I think, mm. you know, it, it, it sure it set up a stereotype, but it, I think it did. Broke down some walls as well. Broke down some walls. Mm. Māori characters on screen. It's kind, mean, of, it's kind of a question of being pragmatic in some ways, maybe. I don't know, like, that you have to make this film and it's sad that that is probably still the most kind of watched depiction of Māori culture mm. around the world in terms of in, cinema in foreign cinema mm. um, but you know if you can if you can use that and you can leap from that to mm. do a lot of other things then it's got to be a positive step mm. Mm. i tell you something that was interesting about Mahana which mm. I think shows sort of how how pro- not progressive necessarily but how attitudes and whatnot have progressed is do you remember that the um, Te Reo Māori was not subtitled mm. by and right. large it's not mm. subtitled That's in right. Mahana because it doesn't need to be because mm-hmm. it, it's inferred no mm-hmm. it's implied and we can infer yeah. what's happening and we don't need to know literally if mm-hmm. someone's going oi you get yeah. off the table or yeah. whatever it might be yeah. um, and I thought that was really nicely done it because was, not only yeah. does it sort of um, not only does it sort of uh, imply that we trust the audience to be able to understand what, what's going on here, but um, I also think it, it, it 
I don't know, it treats te reo as rightly as being just another language in New Zealand, yes. in our yeah, yeah, society, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that we that we can f- feel closer, connected to mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, what was that? That was a bit mm-hmm. foreign, do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be interested to know whether they've had to subtitle it for overseas distribution. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, arguably it's not necessary because yeah. the bits that we needed to know um, for the story would be treated differently. I don't know. But I, th- I, but yeah. I thought that was nicely done. Yeah. Mm, mm. It was. I guess, um, to go back to one of the early questions about techniques and once we're warriors, that opening shot is one I picked. Of course. Uh, you know, it opens on that beautiful, picturesque New Zealand landscape. The billboard. The billboard. Yeah. And then it reveals it's a billboard right. and, and pulls out and it's that next to the motorway. Um, and I think that is a statement. It's still one of my favourite openings of any mm, film. Mm. Um, just as a breaking, as a, as, a, as a here's a stereotype, you know, talking about stereotypes, here's a stereotype yeah. of beautiful New Zealand landscapes and then we pull away. And, it's, and here's a reality. Mm-hmm. And yeah, totally. That, I think she's pushing a shopping trolley yes, and smoking that's a cigarette. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's fantastic. It is mm. fantastic and you're right in there. And that's that nice kind of jolting, isn't it, for the, mm. for the viewer mm. of, oh, this Could be still so effective these days, eh? People that you know having an image of New Zealand, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could do it. Yeah, you could <laughs> imagine watching that straight after Lord of the Rings. And yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are the elves? Um, I also, yeah, Rena Owen. I guess I mentioned her before, but I think yes, she. I mean that she's a powerhouse. Yes, she's amazing. Ben yeah. yeah. That I, every time I watch that film, I'm just amazed at how. She brings, she brings such a dignity, ni- a dignity or nuance. I was going to oh, say, I there's see. just such a she's so she's so nuanced in what she's doing. Timira Morrison's pretty blunt. Yeah, I mean he's a blunt character. You know, Jake the Mus, he, he sort of yeah. just has to be angry, but and he does a good job. You know, I'm not not trying to diminish his role, but she, what she brings to the film mm. um, always impresses me. It's mm. interesting say that though ever so slightly dismissively about Timuera Morrison because my my sense of him as Jake Hecker is in the scenes where inevitably because this is how domestic violence goes he is soft and loving and vulnerable mm. I, I, I did find him credible and actually I think this is what he did very well in mm. Mahana as well mm-hmm. he plays this Jake the Musk character in mm. Mahana doesn't he yeah um, and then there are moments where actually you see the real man in there who is vulnerable and who is sensitive mm. and, and then you can see that when that vulnerability is, is pushed too far that's when the, the hackles rise and the, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the brutality comes out mm-hmm. and so I, I did feel that, that nuance from him in, in both those mm. films I found very much watching Mahana that I felt Jake the Mus under the surface quite often, which yeah, I thought yeah. gave the grandfather a, a, quite a, an interesting heft, mm, you know. And mm-hmm, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to know if you hadn't seen him in the Jake role, whether one would have um, felt that. Well, I was sitting there, trying, and even before the film, I'd been sort of struggling with trying to decide whether or not I thought it was a good move casting him in that role or not. In, in Mahana. In Mahana. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, hmm, him bringing, because Jake DeMas is inevitably going to come. Yes. Playing that patriarch, a patriarch, yeah. when he's playing that character, you're yeah. going to connect it. So I, I, I'm not convinced either way. I, I'm not sure whether it was a good thing or a bad thing for right. the film. Right, right. I found him effective enough that I, I completely forgot. I completely forgot about Jake DeMas. Oh, oh that's so. good. Okay. I mean, I'm sure it was under the surface. Yeah, right. I'm sure that heft, I completely agree with you, that it had a heft under it that, yeah. that made it really... A menace. Yeah. yeah. I knew he was capable of. But I, yeah. didn't, I didn't, I wasn't thinking, Jake, Jake didn't pop into my mind. Um, I managed to kind of just f- focus on him. 
Mm. Well, not not saying, you know, yeah. No, I know what you're saying, yeah. Mm. But you were speaking, you were um, lauding uh, Rena Owen. Yes, yeah. which is a good point because I think she got thoroughly um, ignored around the world in, in kind of award ceremonies, didn't she? Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, over time, there's, that's been kind of recognised as a <clears throat> pretty big snob. Mm. Mm. I think so. I think that she deserved some kind of, yeah, accolades for yeah. acting. Cause I just, and also just bigger roles. I haven't really seen her do much. She's done a bit of voice work. She does, she does a lot of coaching, I know. I watched a documentary actually about the film, I can't remember when, probably a few years ago, and she talks about, maybe talking back to one of the, one of the comments you made earlier, she talks about how when they played that film to different communities, different um, festivals, different women would come up and just sob and just hug her. Mm, mm. And there was a shared story there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Eh? Similar. Yeah. That's, so yeah. I think in terms of what kind of story uh, are people who, who relate to that um, community or that, yeah. that um, whatever, family lifestyle, um, there was a sense of shared, for some, yes. it's a shared story, particularly for hurt, beaten, abused sure. woman. Um, that's a yeah. really good point. So I wonder whether that mitigates the discomfort of the depiction mm-hmm. of Māori mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. saying, actually, it's the depiction of domestic violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that knows no yes, bounds in terms thing. of... Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so actually thinking of Once for Warriors as a festival circuit film, mm-hmm. actually now I realise people in Iceland or wherever wouldn't be watching it and going, oh, is that what the indigenous people of mm-hmm. New Zealand are mm-hmm. like? They'll mm-hmm. just go, far out, that's a heavy yeah. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if I think about it, if I see crime stories from, from you know, f- yeah. foreign lands, yeah. I don't go, no. oh, look. No, that's know. right. Um, You'll be looking at Jake the Musk going, oh, I know a guy that's right. down the road probably. Yeah. Right. And some, well, you know, most people have got that kind of connection somewhere in their lives. Right. I guess um, that leads on to one, another point I had, which is linked to Lee Reno, is that she's a really, she's a strong, a well-formed female character that's at the centre mm. of that film. And I mm. think... Um, it's amazing when you think about like I think about films like this and it's like wow that's really cool and then you look at kind of films that have gone on and you think oh gosh we're still (laughs) we're still not getting it right in terms of female depiction but I think her as a character she's really rich she's a rich character yeah Um, well absolutely absolutely because she personifies the woman who stays, and I say it with inverted commas for our listeners, but does stay um, in the relationship. Mm. Uh, and she absolutely, she gives, um, she, she lends such understanding as to why, why women stay. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Because yeah. there can be such judgment about, well, for crying out loud, you know, why don't yeah. you just leave? Um, and it isn't that straightforward. And you can mm. see she really loves him. Mm. And she loves him for the right reasons when they are loving to one another, you can completely yeah, see it. totally, yeah. Um, so human. So mm. human. And there's those moments where he brings home the seafood and they, yeah. they, all, they all get around the table, the family all enjoy that. I, I love those moments. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, that's what that's what's so devastating when those moments are undercut by the, the brutality that mm-hmm. ensues. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're, they're crucial, aren't they? You can't have a villain who's just a dick the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, not um, these days, anyway. No, no, that's right. Um, so, you know, you can almost feel compassion for... And I think, actually, I think maybe nowadays viewers might have more compassion for somebody like Jake Hickey because we know, I hope that we all know nowadays, that that, um, that those types of people are like that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's where certainly where my compassion 
um, comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do we see that in um, what becomes of the broken hearted? I, that, 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 I, kind of that I can't film. remember, but uh, that if the children grow up and I feel like one of them kind of grows up and becomes abusive as well. I, I, I don't oh, know, I can't answer that. All I know is that I tried watching that film and I was frustrated because the main character was a child that, one of their children, and he wasn't in the first film. So and I think different was, actor? Uh, no, different character. Different character? Oh, and they, oh, had, no. they had another child in the book that becomes the main character of the second book. And oh, I just remember sitting there going, uh, I don't know who this person is. Okay. They're not... Maybe it's one of the young kids and they've grown up, but then I noticed they were still there. So. I remember nothing much came... I, I didn't see What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. I remember not a lot came mm, of it, mm. um, which is a shame for a, a follow-up to something mm, so massive. Mm. So maybe that was why. I don't know. I don't know. I found the tone a little bit off. Mm. Did Tom Hardy do it? No. Ian, no. Ian Moon, I think. Oh, right. Or was it Jeff Murphy? Oh, right. Another kind of well-known New Zealand director. All you were saying about Rena Owen, she, um, I'm pretty sure she was in the dream sequence in Deadlands. Oh, really? I think she, she was, was one of the, the she... spiritual sort of godmothery type. Um, yeah, she's popped up in a few figures. things. She's in Reign of the Children as well. Have you seen Reign of the Children? It's um, a while Vincent back. Ward's uh, sort of docu. Yeah, that's right. Reenacting drama. She plays um, Puhi, the the kind of woman that it's based on. But more recently than that, oh, we knew she was in those awful Star Wars movies, don't mm. we? Episode, <laughs> two, episode two and three. <laughs> she was the voice of one of the aliens, I'm pretty sure. But she was also in something, some strange sci-fi thing I saw recently, so I will just um, very quickly... Oh, she was in The Last Witch Hunter. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. That is a film you can walk away from. But, yeah, <laughs> so that was 2015, <laughs> The Last Witch Hunter. Um, so she had a peculiar role in that. It was all a bit funny, mm. all a bit fantasy. But I really anyway. enjoyed the Deadlands. I know we're not, it's not really what we're talking about, but well, it is, is important though to, to make that. I was thinking about those, you know, mm. films that have come out since Once Were Warriors yes. and before Mahana. Yes. Deadlands. Um, Whale Dark Rider, Horse, as you Whale say. Rider is yeah. a big Boy. one. Boy, yeah. being a big one. Mm. I definitely feel like um, I don't think Leah Tamahori is looking at Maori as. Um, as 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 a unique brand or anything like that when he's doing these depictions mm. but definitely by the time we get to Mahana it's more like comfortable when he's just going okay this is really this is we're now we're doing a positive depiction there's no worries about that and he's just you going, feel like there's enough stories that you can kind of do what you like and yeah. not, not be it's like he, it's he's like, definitely not focusing now going this is just Māori it's know, like it's much more I guess when you're the first yeah. when you're the first one or once Warriors I yes. know, it was the first one but it's definitely the first biggest one Yeah, um, you become uh, the voice of, of that you know you, be, yeah. you sort of become the voice of Māori cinema didn't you yeah. I guess is that what you're trying to say whereas now there's more films and you can just do what you like without worrying I, about, I think those boundaries have been broken and now there's yeah, I think so. Now he can just he can he can talk about it, and it doesn't have to be a big issue that we're talking that we're depicting Maori here mm. having a normal life or having issues with authority. It's not going these issues with authority are purely Maori, Maori issues. issues. You're right. Mahana is a completely transferable film. Mm. Completely, yeah. there is mm. nothing. If mm. I remember rightly, there mm. is nothing in it that says, oh, well, that's a Māori problem. Mm. Not the rivalry between families, mm. not mm. the appropriation of women or anything like that. You're quite right. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't talk about, he doesn't um, weigh at all <coughs> on colonialism no. in this film, which mm. is interesting. It completely avoids that. Mm. And it goes, um, it, it takes us as, as a family issue within mm. Māoridom. Within these people, it's just their their family is d- dealing with it. Which, in some ways, I was kind of like, are you ignoring a big part of history? Are you saying that this violence doesn't come from historical causes, 
or are you trying to get on and do something because this is how you feel that it's this is how it works and know? it's still representative of some people's mm. experience that's right yeah. 1960s was it 50s 60s nice. yeah, I, I, mean, it's, Mahana? I was thinking about, 40s well it's oh, West Side Story they talk about um, oh well that would be 50s then I yeah, think yeah it must be 50s right. late yeah. 50s that makes sense um yeah. They go to see 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Not the remake. <laughs> <laughs> the original. Uh, that, that was interesting. That was very interesting. Like, the, 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 if we're talking about Māori and Pākehā relations, the fact that he introduces like the Western cinema, the boys, oh, the, the kids are going to go see this Western cinema, mm. and Mahana says, you know, like, are they allowed to have this joy in their lives? Um, you know, like like Western cinema was this almost this debauched. Well, oh, no, no, oh. no, like yeah, like it, it seemed like they were talking about it as if it was this joy. Should they be allowed that in a very positive light? So it's really interesting for the politics mm. of it. Mm. You know, just letting it be almost um, monolithic, mm. not saying anything negative about it. Mm. Mm. Speaking of Maori film, um, the most recent one coming out any minute now is Orphans and Kingdoms. And Orphans and Kingdoms um, is a terrific New Zealand film about about Maori issues, certainly, Mm. Maori issues. Um, And it's it's about three young Maori kids who jump on the ferry to Waiheke Island and break into a house that they assume is unoccupied with the the, um, intention of laying low for a while, just sort Mm. of living it up in this beautiful big house. And the owner of the house, Pākehā, rich owner of the house, comes home unexpectedly and then trouble ensues um, and uh, the initial discomfort is oh here we go again three Maori kids nicking, nicking mm-hmm. someone's handbag mm-hmm. um, chomping down food stealing food from a service station and that kind of thing uh, the beauty of the film is that it actually does go as far as to investigate their, the issues as to why they've wound up in the situation nice. that they have. And cool. I think it's really nicely handled. Mm. Oh, mm. great. Um, so, so on the one hand, it's like, oh, it's, it's another one. It, you know, if, if we're talking about the way Māori are, uh, are mm-hmm. perceived, uh, represented on film, then it's like, mm, okay, it's not exactly a good news story. It's a sad news story, but at very least the film is intelligently handled and has the compassion to to yes. sort of look into the whys yep. and wherefores mm. rather than just the this is how it is. Yeah. Mm. And actually, I think if Once for Warriors has any faults, then perhaps one of them is not looking at the wheres and why fores. Mm. If I remember rightly, it pretty much just goes. This is this, mm. this is a reality. Yeah. Mm. There, there's at least mm. one family in South Auckland for whom this is the reality and isn't this awful mm. rather than any thought as to how Jake got to be how he did or, yeah. or you know sort of as you say sort of long time institutional and socioeconomic mm. Uh, mm. issues mm. and all that sort of thing I don't think that if, they, if they'd looked at that I don't think it would have been received in the same way not because no. you're right. putting, aside, putting aside narrative issues right. and how they introduced that but more because I don't think New Zealand was white ready middle to, class public yeah, would he, yeah. I mean they're still not ready we're still not ready I yeah. don't think so um, that would have been interesting to yeah. see how it would have changed mm. the film's reception. Actually, on that note, talking about the film's reception, I mean, we've, <coughs> we've talked a lot about how Once a Warriors has kind of gone around the circuits, and it, you know, I think along with Heavenly Creatures, the piano, I mean, it really put New Zealand cinema on the map. Mm. I mean, it was within a year of each other those three films came out, all, wow. got, all got, I mean, Piano and Heavenly Creatures both got nominated for Oscars, and mm. Piano won a few. Um, and so it was hugely successful. 
I mean, Mahana. I don't think it's gonna. Oh, it's not. It's no. not gonna have that. No. I mean, no. as a film, it was. It was. It was okay. Yeah. It was. It was, yeah. it was a nice film. Yeah. But it, it was. It was satisfying and nicely handled. Yeah. 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 But I thought in res, in in uh, relation or ref, putting it against the other New Zealand film that's out at the moment, which I haven't seen yet and I can't wait to see, is Hunt for the Wilderness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I've just been looking at that, particularly just within New Zealand and how mm. much buzz it's getting. Mm. Um. I think Taika Waititi is very good at marketing. Yes, he's very good I at agree. doing social media and that kind of thing, and created this real buzz around the film. Mm. Whereas Mahana, I don't know whether it was just the story in the film, but you don't really see that much about it. I Ma- mean, no, and Mahana is. I mean, there's nothing sexy about Mahana. No. Now, don't get me wrong. There's literally nothing sexy about Hunt for the Wilder People, except <laughs> that um, it's enormously fun and entertaining yeah. and funny and Taika has such a great reputation really deserved reputation for mm. producing funny and entertaining that's that's exactly what Hunt for the Wilder People is and yeah. that's why people have flocked to the cinema thus far notwithstanding the very positive reviews we've all been giving it for four and a half or five stars mm. um, because it's a blooming good time it's a romp rollup. it is an yeah. absolute romp mm. um, and it's witty and it's clever and I don't know how he got to be so brilliant but he he nails it I felt mm. the same with um, uh, What We Do in the Shadows yeah, I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. you know both of which I enjoyed much more than Boy, even you know, oh, but the whole yeah. but the whole country loved boy. I so love, you know, yeah. right. So there is this Waititi canon, isn't there? That mm. it's hugely successful. Whereas Mahana is, a, it's it's kind of a straightforward drama. It's beautifully mm. shot. It's well acted, huh? It's good, nice camera work. It's engaging. The music is lovely. Sometimes I just think the modern day audience either wants to see Batman fight Superman really mm-hmm. hard out. Mm-hmm in a very loud clanging environment or they want to want to laugh yeah well it's shifted hasn't it i mean i mean the type of the type of dramas that we used to go to the cinema to watch you know you look back at the 70s and 80s the sort of films that were winning oscars mm. it's all tv now is that that, yeah. that that really interesting drama has all gone to tv and yeah. now you're looking at these massive blockbusters that are like it's like a tv series you go and watch the next 300 million dollar oh episode of marvel yeah and it's it's an interesting shift and then you've got your independent cinema bubbling away mm. here and yeah world of people fits into that but it's it's um i think that the type of films that perhaps were the straightforward dramas they've got there's not the appetite for it anymore and you're anymore. right people get their their drama off television mm. and everybody says don't they the, the 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 catchphrase at the moment is that television's doing film much better than than, mm. than film could yeah because um, they're shot beautifully they have um, film actors in them yep. Matthew McConaughey and mm-hmm. you know Steve Buscemi everybody, and whoever yeah. you've got mm. Kevin Spacey Robert right, Wright right yeah. so everybody that lot who started in TV to get into movies have now crossed over crossed <laughs> back over to um, to television so yeah that yeah that is tough yeah mm. It was a slightly weird one for Tamahori to do, I feel like, as a, as a kind of breakthrough Mahana? back into the... Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of not, um, well, it's, it doesn't feel like a hardcore indie dramatic film, well, you know, like no, Mahana. No. So yeah. it's kind of just like, it, it very much is what you're saying, just a kind of quite a breezy drama, really. It's a book as, adaptation. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is, isn't it? And I mean, for, I think for a... I always say that for a book, to, for a movie to do a book adaptation well, it really needs to re-engineer the whole structure. I'm not a fan of people going, "Oh, it's 
that wasn't in the that wasn't in the book or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I think that's fine I think you need mm. the best book to film totally. adaptations have yeah. really shifted it and changed yeah. it true um, and I think Otherwise Mahana it's was very sort of, boring well yeah, yeah. That, Mahana was halfway there I think it culled a lot of stuff that they could have added in and muddied the water I feel there was there was a clarity about the film mm-hmm. and I find that book adaptations because sometimes yeah, just mess all over the show but it wasn't as it, the the message it wasn't a hard hitting message. No, it was very much mm. the twist, the family drama, and then that was and to be it. fair, the message you see, the message probably expired in the nineteen fifties when the when the the story happened, mm. because there is wouldn't be anybody watching that film nowadays who's going to go, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, we should let people love the people they want to love, and mm-hmm. oh, that would make for a much yeah. happier family. Because yeah. everyone's like, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas back in the day when expectations were different, that mm. would have had a different. I did feel like it, it just didn't make much sense coming out kind of today like it mm. doesn't it doesn't do anything particularly progressive no the message like you say is old school the themes are strong but the message is not so therefore I think what's interesting is Tamahori is has done he's only directed 13 films mm. um, and obviously um, Once Were Warriors was the big breakout in 94 which is what 22 years ago mm. now um, and so we've got here Mulholland Falls one episode of The Sopranos. Sopranos. Mm. I didn't know that. And then, of course, there was the this... Worst, the worst James Bond film, in my opinion. Right. So there was this early 2000s um, bout of Along Came a Spider. Do you remember when yes. crime dramas were the yeah, twist? And the yeah. twist was always that a copper or someone who was ostensibly a goodie was the yeah, baddie. Yeah, yeah. That was a big thing. And then, as you say, um, Jeremy, die another day. Um and then oh things you've never heard of. Yeah, Devil's, The Devil's Double. I never it, saw it, but I, I heard really good I saw it. Reviews. It's really good, but nobody went. Nobody mm. saw. So The Devil's Double, actually, is um, Saddam Hussein's son, um, Uday, I think his name is, and um, Uday's sort of, uh, well, double, you know, sort of, not exactly a bodyguard, but the one who would be sent out as the decoy. Um, and it's a fascinating film. Dominic Sounds Cooper from the History Boys plays both characters very, very well. Wow. So that's your more traditional sort of um, action drama slash thriller to some extent. And it's based on, allegedly based on truth. And of course, the minute that it's based on the house of Saddam Hussein, there's some resonance, isn't there? Audiences go, oh, well, I've heard of that guy. Yeah. And it's opulent and it's, you know, despicable and all those things. Um, but other than that, old Tamahori... Mm. He hasn't done a lot. No, you're right. So then came back with Mahana. And so what I think I'd read or heard is that he wanted to get back into... He wanted to come home and make a mm. film back home and mm. therefore it would make sense to do a, um, a literary adaptation. Witty, yeah. yeah. So, yes. His next film is Emperor that's meant to be coming out this year. Yeah, meant to be coming out this year. Action epic a young girl seeking revenge on the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V for the death of her father. So we're back in Game sort of, of action, action. Yeah, Game, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones actually. Um, and, you know, just looking very briefly at the cast, Adrian Brody is, and, and when, when did we last see Adrian Brody? I love him, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but, you yeah. know. So basically a whole lot of people who either are nobody or are slightly somebody, you know, you've got um, Oliver Platt and Eddie Marsan. Another scars guard. You can't get too many of those, to be fair. Um, so yeah, so it's not exactly huge hitting. So yeah, interesting career, eh? Yeah, there's, there's not not real. Cons- there's not a huge consistency in his career. You don't get the sense 
to be fair, and I know this is uncharitable, but you don't get the sense that this is a, the career of somebody who's making um, very discreet choices no. as much as the career is choosing him. Because it's quite eclectic, isn't it? Is, that, is that common to lots of New Zealand directors that have gone over to Hollywood? Well, Jane Campion's got a very strong apart from, here. Yeah, um, apart from Campion. Well, I think Peter Jackson's carved out, you know, he's done a lot of different films, but there is a, there is a thread of... Mm. I look at his movies and I can see... The Jackson stamp. Mm, what about? Worse. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It was, um, what about Jeff Murphy? He's. Do you know it's funny? I saw a documentary about um, Jeff Murphy when I was in film, doing my film degree, and I knew him as the second director of Lord of the Rings from mm. the Lord of the Rings making of. You know, oh, <laughs> he's right. done all his straight mm. films. Yeah. Um, he's he's. I don't really know what he's doing at the moment. Roger Donaldson. Well, Roger yeah, I've Donaldson, got, yeah. Roger turns out born in Australia. That's a bit of a choker, isn't it? Because yeah. I've always thought that he was one of us. But I mean, he he prob- did fastest Indian. Right, he did, and the and the bank job, and um, he's probably had a similar journey uh, to Tamahori, but he's made yeah. far far more far films. more and like the recruit and Thirteen Days and Dante's Peak. So yeah, he's got Dante's a much Peak, more sort of species. I thought someone had done species. Yeah, right. So his is very much more the oh my cocktail. gosh, he did cocktail. So that's funny. <laughs> did he? Yeah. Wow. So, so you know, he went obviously went to Hollywood and and got straight in there with Kevin Costner and Tom Cruise and and people like that and. Um, so I would say ostensibly much more successful, mm. again, doing the inverted commas mm. with the fingers. Uh, well, no, he is more successful um, and has carved out a Hollywood career and a lot of it's sort of action-y mm. kind of stuff. I mean, Taika Waititi, is, he's the new director, isn't he? I mean, he's... He's doing the latest Thor. Mm. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, heard, I read the justification for that is that it's quite a dark story. They wanted someone to bring a sense of humour, which I'm not really convinced how no. it works. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. I've enjoyed the Thor films. So I, yeah, I, particularly goes. the first one I, I enjoyed a lot. Um, I don't think he's going to do a bad job of it. Mm. Um, He'll have to fit into that factory. That winter. must be, yeah, that That's, must be just a wild shift, though, yeah. to jump into that kind of Hollywood directing. Yeah. To just go and, I don't know. And, you know, and of course... I mean, it happens all the time, right? They always take, the, they take a lot of indie directors and they yeah. go, oh, this guy, yeah. grab him quick and we'll see what he can do. Yeah. And take a little bit of a risk. Like with Ryan... They, a lot of the time they blow up. Well, like with Ryan Johnson, who admittedly has been around a little while now, but Ryan Johnson, indie director, did um, Brick... Um, right and yep. Looper Brothers Bloom I haven't seen that have you seen yeah that? I did see that yeah. um, and um, he's doing the next Star Wars film he right. did some fabulous episodes of Breaking Bad mm. like and you know so he's a yep. sensational brilliant young director mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. think he I think he's young-ish um, so yeah it's, it's, um, it's a poison chalice isn't it to be yeah. given the, oh, that's right there's a whole discussion like. around that because <clears throat> particularly the fact that it's, it's young men getting them out which is more they're more overrepresented in, in film directors anyway but how um, I was reading a, 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 someone who had gone through film school and done the, had a similar career to uh, the guy Tre- Trevorrow Colin Trevorrow is that his name who did um, Safety Not Guaranteed and then he got plucked up and he of course did Jurassic World that's right mm. and, and the fact that he jumped from that to yes. that film which is what we're talking about mm. but this young woman she had a, a film with more Impressive reviews. I can't remember who it was. Mm. And yeah, it's just interesting how and hadn't been offered a blockbuster. Hadn't been offered a blockbuster. No. How dare they? But it is. It's an interesting discussion. I wonder um, if that could um, says anything about where we could go next with the um, podcasts and what we could be watching next. Yeah. Yeah. One of the shots in Once Warriors that really sticks with me is the scene where Rena Owen opens the door and finds her daughter 
hanging from the tree mm. just to go there uh, and it's just there's like a crash crash zoom if I remember correctly mm-hmm. and um, and there's just the horror of her kind of cradling her daughter who's, mm. who's dead and there's the noise of the traffic mm. and it's just it's absolutely yeah. horrifying it's horrifying and, and the way they dealt with it was just so simple and just with a simple, mm-hmm. like this really, really intrusive zoom, and then just the noise of the ultra mm. and uh, and arguably her acting, a, eh? and you know I hate to say it, but um, sort of you know if I have any sort of oh, this is a terrible way of putting it, I was going to say a porn addiction. I don't mean a porn addiction, but <laughs> for some reason I'm quite drawn to watching films where mothers fall to their knees in devastation at the right. loss of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently I've rewatched Naomi Watts in um, 21 Grams. Uh, um, and she, you know, I, and I was rewatching the film second or third time and like, no, this film isn't as good as I remembered. And then you get to the shot uh, where she's in the hospital and the doctor comes along and you don't even hear what the doctor says, I don't think, or maybe you do, but it's all about Naomi Watts's response. Mm. And my goodness, if that isn't the mark of a good actress. Yeah. Um, and she's sensational. And Rena Owen, I mean, that's where your heart goes, mm. isn't it? it? It's it's so visceral. And mm. yeah, so it, in a way, it isn't even the technical necessarily, mm. because it's it's actually you're, you're completely there with the character. Mm. It's the affective kind of... Mm. I really like that invasive <clears throat> zoom. Mm. I find that it's so interesting. I think at that time, that, that period of 1990s, David Lynch is doing kind of similar things with his cinema where it's... Um, so it's clear that you're watching a film mm. and this is right at the crux of the film that's a good point but you get this really invasive zoom because you have to know that you're still in a film by, yeah. by this stage people were watching with so much self-consciousness mm. that, that, that you need to have that little silver lining you know that you're still watching a film but it's just it's, you're there now that's so interesting so do you mm. think that it is it's a directorial choice to sort of give the audience the uh, opportunity I to go this is heavy, but thank goodness this is fake. I, I don't know if it's absolutely conscious. Right, I think but it has that effect, you reckon? Uh, I think Lynch has done it consciously before, but I think it's something that starts to happen. People doing this kind of little, almost cliche-feeling <clears throat> thing, and it just does give it a... It doesn't make it any less um, affecting. How? This is the most powerful it can be at this stage because people are already conscious of the fact that it's a film. Right. And so you need to have that lining that helps you... Um, just, I don't know, that's how it works best. Right. I'm not explaining that very well. No, you are. I I hadn't thought about it, but I think that's really interesting. Mm. I mean, Tarantino uses it all the time to great effect, but you always know you're in a film in a Tarantino You always do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if if you've forgotten, you've got the characters reminding you you're talking about movies. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I I hear what you're saying. With that high high realism, it's nice to have those flourishes of of something a bit more artificial. Mm. It just... Yeah, what a way to end this discussion. Mm. What, a, what a point. But it's probably, probably right, rightly so. I mean, it is one of the most effective parts of that movie. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, but yeah, thank you to both of you. I think it was a, it was a robust discussion. <laughs> uh, we touched on, I think, many, many different corners of, of the cinema landscape of New Zealand. Hopefully we've inspired listeners to revisit Once Were Warriors and to uh, race down and get the new release out of their... Um, beleaguered local video library. Um, all, <laughs> all the, the ones all the around me are, yeah, that's right. All the ones around me are shutting <laughs> down. Machine. But yeah, Mahana, it's got to be available somewhere. Yeah, for purchase. And 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 for all our discussion around how it's <clears throat> it's just an okay film. It's still a great watch. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I think it's quite a good family film as well. Yeah, and the fact that me and you were both had tears in our eyes is 
pretty huge. Yeah. I haven't had a tear in my eye for quite a while. Um, <laughs> it's your first film. term teaching as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I wasn't thinking about the film when I was watching it. No. <laughs> um, well, there you go. That was our conversation about Mahana and Once Were Warriors. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It's a little bit of an experiment for us at the moment. We're just seeing how we're going with these conversations, seeing what areas we're going we're gonna to step into. So check out our next podcast, which will be coming up again in a couple of months' time. We're going to be looking at another two films and seeing what connections we can discuss in regards to cinema and context. Ka kite anō.